Our gospel reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted and her daughter was healed from that very hour. Thank you, Pam. Good morning, everyone. You may be seated. I did say good morning, didn't I? Uh, oh, oh, thank you. <laughs> you know, I know you're just getting ready for tomorrow's national holiday, right? <laughs> Can you believe how big this has become, the the uh, solar eclipse? Uh, how many of you are traveling south so you can see 100%? Anyone here? We had a couple in early services. You won't admit it if you, if you are. But uh, yeah, well, if it's, if it's not cloudy, we're going to see 91.4% uh, of, of the eclipse here. But isn't it neat to be able to stand in awe of something and, and, and in wonder of God's creation, like something like, like the eclipse? It, it's just a reminder of how great our God is. This summer, we're, we're going through a series called Greater. And the fact is that in our relationship with God, but in our, also in our relationship with other people, if this is where you are, God has something greater in store for you. That in union with Christ as your Savior, that God has a plan that is amazing, and we, we can stand in wonder, especially today, of God's love. The incident in our Bible passage that you heard just a few minutes ago uh, has to, to deal with Jesus and his relationship with a Canaanite woman in the area of Tyre and Sidon. And it became a test for the disciples, as well as a test for this Canaanite woman, to understand God's love and just how big, how broad, how immense is the love of God. This happens as Jesus leads his disciples outside of their familiar territory of Galilee to the west, to an area called Tyre and Sidon. The historian Josephus tells us that the people from Tyre were some of the bitterest enemies of the Jews. They were the, the Canaanites, the original uh, indigenous population there of people who do not believe in the same way that they did in the true God. So this woman comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, I need your help. My, my daughter, Lord, she calls him Lord says, my daughter is suffering from demon possession. Can you help us? Now, this woman had two strikes against her. Not only was she a Gentile, a goyim, but also she was a woman. And there was a rabbinic tradition that said, if, even if a Jewish man spoke to a woman, that he would, be, he would be liable to spend eternity in Gehenna, which is hell. And so, a woman, a, a goyim, a Gentile, there was no way that they should be involved with this woman. And yet, 
the question becomes, should Jesus help this woman or not? And as Jesus stretches the attitudes and the experiences of the disciples, today I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit will stretch your attitude too and help you to understand just how immense, how awesome, how wonderful is the love of God. Well, Jesus, in going to this woman, teaches us what it means to be on the inside, to be exclusive. And it's a fact that by human nature, there's something in all of us that always tries to be part of the in-group, right? The in-group. There are always those, on the other hand, that are left out. Uh, those who don't get chosen to make the travel team. Uh, those whose, whose invitation to the dance gets refused. Those who get blackballed, cold-shouldered. Those who are voted off the island. In fact, there's a, a quote from C.S. Lewis, a Christian writer, who wrote an article called The Inner Ring. And he says, in every society, in every school, in every church and workplace, there are little groups of people who are on the inside. We might call them cliques. And once you're on the inside, you discover, though, that there are further rings that are even more on the inside. And the further the ring is in, the more status and prestige it bestows. Just test that theory. Can you remember back to your high school days? For some of us, that's been a long time ago. But remember when you were in high school? And the groups that you were in. Now, I was, I was an athlete. I was on sports teams. I was also part of the music department. But there was always a little group that was just a little bit better that never really included me. Was it because of they had more money, their families, and they drew, drove nicer cars that their parents provided for them? Was it because their clothes were more fashionable? Was it because they, they were a little bit more intelligent than the rest of us? I don't know, but there's always that, that little inner group, isn't it? And the desire, you know, to, to be part of groups is not bad. God made us to be in fellowship with one another. But when our self-worth depends on being part of the inner ring, it becomes dangerous. And the desire leads us always then to look around and start comparing with other people. God has made you the way that you are. In union with Jesus, your Savior, you have been redeemed. You are a child of God. You don't need to try to compare yourself with other people, but that's the way we are, aren't we? And we see others who are more successful, more, more intelligent, uh, more money. We realize that we may not stack up, and when we don't make the inner ring, we become disappointed, and it leads many Christians to compromise. Maybe we say something that we don't really believe because we think it might make us look good. Or we laugh at a person's jokes a little bit too eagerly, pretending that they're funny, when in the back of your mind you know that that isn't right. We give compliments that are partly sincere, but largely also are self-serving. See, it's easy to get a surge of pleasure when we think that we're in the inner ring and when we look at other people and they aren't. And this is terrible, but let's be honest with ourselves. Sometimes we can enjoy even enjoy the fact that others are excluded and that we're part of the group. Now, from Scripture, we know that God has a better way. He has a different way. God's love. For God so loved the world. God would have that all people come to faith and know the love of their Savior, Jesus Christ. 
and that's why today this incident really stretches us. Now let's go back to our text. Matthew, under the Holy Spirit, records that this Gentile woman comes to Jesus and begs, her, begs Him for mercy and healing. And what does Jesus do? The first thing our text says is that Jesus doesn't even respond. He ignores her. He gives her what seems to be the cold shoulder. And then his disciples seem to pile on with this haughty, exclusive attitude as they say in verse 23, send her away because she keeps bugging us. She keeps crying out after us. And then Jesus seems to even go a step further when he says, and by the way, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first read this, it seems at a glance that Jesus is being mean. (laughs) He's the one that's being arrogant. And yet, when we look at the rest of the story, we see that Jesus is giving this incident as a test, a test to the Canaanite woman to see how strong her faith is, a test to the the disciples so that they might better understand who's included in in this love of God, but it's also a test to us. Do you like tests? Do you enjoy tests? You know, some people do, and they thrive on taking tests, but other people don't. Uh, And this is not a true story. I've heard, I, I've, I've had several people now say this is an urban legend, but it's a good story. Can I tell it to you? It's about testing. Uh, at Ohio State, one of the largest universities in the United States, uh, they were having a calculus final in one of their large lecture halls. There were a thousand students that were taking the calculus fin- final. And uh, at least one of the students, I'm sure there were more, uh, we're so nervous about this because his grade would depend on passing the, the class. And so he needed a good grade in this class, but he was really nervous. And I had friends, too, that would get so nervous when they were tested. They'd, they'd, they'd worry sick. Well, the teacher, the, the, the monitor for this, for the professor for this calculus exam was, was also not a favorite of students. And as the test went on that day, he would call out the amount of time that was left for their test. You now have 30 minutes left. And then he would say, you only have 10 minutes left. And this, this one guy kept getting more and more nervous. Finally, the, the professor says, turn your test in. Test is over. And so a thousand young people, students, brought their tests up and laid them on a podium in stacks that were yay high. But this guy kept working because he wasn't finished yet. Five minutes turned into 10 minutes. 10 minutes turned into 20 minutes. Finally, 45 minutes later, he brings his test up. The professor is looking at all this, and as he begins to lay his test on the stack, says, what are you doing? He says, well, I've completed my test. And he says, no, you didn't do it in the correct amount of time. You have failed. You flunked. And with a gleam in his eye, he says, I'll see you again next semester. Well, this guy turns around to the professor and says, do you know my name? The professor says, what? Why would I know your name? What do I care about you? And that's when the the guy says, well, good. And he lifts up a half of the stack, quickly puts his test in the middle of it, puts it down, and then walks out. (laughs) that's one way to pass a test, right? But this test that Jesus gives as a result of this Canaanite woman is one that strikes at the core 
of who God is and who we are as His people as well. So, first of all, it's a test for the disciples. And it begins with a question to the disciples. Should Jesus minister to this woman? Should Jesus help this foreigner, this goyim? Should Jesus help her or not? And yes or no. And so the disciples, they knew uh, the background and how she was to be despised. They knew that she was a woman and she shouldn't even be talking to Jesus, but this is a test. And so they are not surprised when Jesus gives her the silent treatment. Jesus watches to see how the disciples respond. Will they back her up? Will they say something to support her? Will they they reflect what Jesus had said so many times before, that all people are included in the love of God? Do they understand this? It was a test also a test for the Canaanite woman. When Jesus seems to ignore her, when the disciples tell her to go away, what does she do? Does she give up? Does she walk away? Is her faith strong enough in the Lord to persist? You know, the disciples thought they knew who were in their little inner ring. It was themselves and maybe others who were like them. And that was it. In fact, in their mind, they had erected a wall for God, a wall that kept a lot of people out, but a wall that kept other people's in the exclusive club. We know how to build walls, don't we? You may have heard me talk about this, but when our family went on on a trip, there were nine of us, and we we packed into a a three-seater station wagon back in those days, three, three, three. And uh, my dad later confessed that he slipped into his pocket some earplugs. And for the first half hour, he would wear earplugs. He would light his pipe, open his window, and uh, he would just zone out and not listen to a thing that was happening in the car because he said for the first half hour, there was, there, 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 it was just terrible. Everyone was trying to scope out and get getting their territory and build their wall. And you'd hear things like, he hit me, his feet stink, you know. You know, why is she touching me? That sort of stuff. And so by the first half hour, though, everyone had kind of built their wall in the car, and Dad says finally he could relax and take the earplugs out. But that's the way we are. We build walls. There's walls between husbands and wives, walls between children and their parents, walls between coworkers. If you're following what's going on in the United States, you see so much wall building right now amongst our citizens of the United States. It's crazy, isn't it? Whether it's a wall between your, the way you think and the way I think or whatever, but all it is is it's, it's creating further walls. And yet on this day, the disciples who knew there was a wall between that woman and themselves, there was one in their midst who came to break down walls. Jesus is his name. Now, we know from Scripture that one of God's greatest desires, His passions, is to include all people in the ring of His undeserved love. And yet, when you look at the Old Testament, sometimes you can walk away with a feeling that God enjoyed excluding people. There were some people who were clean in the Old Testament. There were many people who were unclean. There were certain foods that you could eat. There were certain foods that you couldn't eat. In fact, one commentator says if you, if you needed a, a theme for the Old Testament, it would be this, no oddballs allowed, okay? And now God 
you know, had a reason for, for that. You know, no lobster in your diet. No blemish lambs at the altar. No menstruating women in the camp and on and on. But over time, it turned into grounds for exclusion for oddball people. And that's what the disciples thought about this lady. She's an oddball. Get rid of her. And yet here comes the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And what does Jesus do? He ushers in a new covenant. In fact, when you look at then the New Testament, when you look at what Jesus has to say, a new theme for God's children evolves. It's this. We're all oddballs. Yeah, we're all oddballs, but God loves us anyway. You see, Christ came to break down the barrier of sin by His death on the cross and His resurrection. That's why Paul could write in Ephesians 2, for He, Jesus, He's our peace, and He has made the two one. He has destroyed the barrier. He's knocked down the wall, the dividing wall of hostility. In fact, sociologists talk about uh, two kinds of connections. There's bonding and there's bridging. Bonding happens when people have a lot of things in common. It's easy to bond to someone who is like you, that maybe went to the same university or college as you, that grew up in the same kind of family as you, that grew up in the same religion as you, that, 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 is, that you, got, you root for the same sport teams, and we could go on and on and on. That's bonding, isn't it? And, and that's okay. We love, it's good for us to bond with people. But there's another kind of relationship that we see, and that is bridging or bridge building. It's when you reach out to people who are different than you, who don't have a lot of things in common with you, who by very nature have a wall built between you and them. Now, Jesus was a bridger, wasn't he? He made a deliberate attempt. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us to knock down the barrier wall of sin between God and between us. And Jesus says that when that, that, that grace, that peace, that, that, that wall is knocked down between you and Him, then that begins to infect your relationships with other people, and we become bridge builders too. We look outward beyond ourselves where we include other people just as God does. He gives to us His grace. He comes to us just the way that we are. Isn't that amazing? And He loves us that way, and He forgives us by His shed blood on the cross and His resurrection. So now, now we can share that truth with others. We can live it. Well, let's continue the test, part two. Jesus, He looks at the disciples and He says, you know, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, why does Jesus say this? Because on many occasions he had talked about the inclusiveness of his love. Well, the thing is, great teachers know that experiencing the truth is better than just hearing the truth. And so it's almost as if Jesus is letting his disciples experience the pain, the agony of this Canaanite woman. He wants to know how they're going to respond when he ignores her. Will anyone disagree? When any, will anyone speak up for this woman? Will anyone get it? And they all nod their heads and they try to send the woman away. There's also a continuing test for the woman. In effect, Jesus seems to agree that she's an oddball. No help for her or her daughter. She's an outsider. But in her mind, she's unwilling to accept that. 
her faith is so strong that Jesus is Lord, that He's the one that she had hoped for, the Messiah, the Redeemer, and that He alone, as Almighty God, had the power to help her daughter. So what does she do? Will she persevere or not? Will she trust Jesus in spite of all the obstacles that are thrown up against her? Well, Scripture tells us that she does this one act. She kneels down on the ground. She humbles herself. And then she cries out from the depth of her soul, Lord, again she calls Him Lord, Lord, help me. The disciples see all this. They hear all this. Again, their theology tells them that she's to be shunned, rejected, ignored, turned away. And so that's when Jesus speaks again. And I believe He's speaking right to the disciples when He says this. He says, you know, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, the meaning of this is pretty clear. The children, in this case, are the children of Israel, God's elect, God's chosen, the inner circle of God's love. The dogs are the Gentiles. The dogs in the Middle East at this time were despised, scavengers, garbage eaters, considered unclean. So in effect, Jesus is saying to his disciples, you want me to get rid of this woman? You want me to limit my ministry just to exclusive people like you? Okay. But before I do that, I just want you to see this lady. I want you to hear her pain. I want you to just experience the agony that she has about her daughter. And so it's a test. Will any of them help? Will one of them stand up for this woman? Not today, not one. Back to the woman. Her love for her daughter is so intense and her trust in Jesus' power to heal so deep and unwavering that she comes back at Jesus with faith and also with wit, by the way. And she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. This lady knows in her heart that Jesus is real and that he cares and that he can help. So she doesn't give up. And so she is implying, yeah, feed, feed the kids. Feed the sheep of Israel. Take care of them. They think they're so exclusive. But you know what? I think you've still got something left over for me. You still have a crumb for me. You still have the power to heal my daughter. So let's give out some grades, okay? What do you think? What, what grade do we give the disciples? What would you give them? They really get an incomplete. We're going to be generous, right? It turns out that they who thought they were in the inner circle of God's love, they're the ones standing outside looking at the deep love and faith of this woman. Yeah, the disciples would have further opportunities to learn from Jesus. And eventually, after Jesus died on the cross and He rose again, and they saw all that, they experienced the risen Lord, the Holy Spirit came upon them at Pentecost, that's when their eyes were opened and they began to see just what this Jesus thing is about. But for now, their grade is incomplete. How about for the woman? In our text, Jesus turns to her with a full heart and expression and says this, Woman, you have a great faith, and I've heard your prayer. Your request is granted. And Matthew tells us that instantly the daughter was healed. This woman's faith, the one that everyone thought was inferior, their enemy, in fact, the goyim, the outsider, the woman, she gets one of the greatest compliments that Jesus gave to any person in his ministry. Woman, 
Great is your faith. I hope that by now you're evaluating how you're doing in the test of your life. This encounter with the woman stretches us, doesn't it? It begs us to ask the question, is your inner ring full? Is there room for you to be a bridge to other people and include them in the mercy of God and in your care and compassion too? Do you have eyes in your heart that are open to people who may feel left out? I have found that there are always people that feel excluded outside the inner ring. Maybe it's someone that you know uh, at your work that doesn't receive a lot of accolades or a lot of attention. Maybe it's a widow in your neighborhood who doesn't get out much. Maybe there's a wall that's been built up between you and someone in your family. You don't mean it for it to be there, but you haven't taken any steps to knock it down either. Just yesterday, I learned of one of our 94-year-old disciples. As she was praying in her skilled care facility, someone saw her and said, you know, I've never learned how to pray. And at 94 years old, she's teaching this woman how to pray. And she taught her, now, they, now she, this lady knows the Lord's Prayer, all because of her. That's reaching out beyond yourself, beyond your inner circle. That's building a bridge. Yes, we wonder at the immensity of God's love. And just as millions of Americans will be standing in awe of the wonder of God's creation in the eclipse tomorrow, every day we stand in awe and wonder of God's amazing grace that is sufficient for you and me, but then is also sufficient and powerful enough for us to reach out beyond ourselves. There's a poem by Edwin Markham that was written in the early 20th century. It's one that uh, my dad often used in his messages, and you've heard me say this before. It goes like this. He drew a circle. He drew a circle. Let's have it up there. Here it is. Okay. That shut me out. Heretic, rebel, a thing to flout. But love and I had the wit to win. We drew a circle that took him in. Amen? Amen. God bless you all.